0: Would you go with me to John chapter 18? John chapter 18 this morning, we we return to our study in John 18. I want to go to verse 12 this morning. In the world in which we live and in God's word, there are remarkable demonstrations of the depravity of man, the sinfulness of man. In the world in which we live, and in God's Word, there are also remarkable demonstrations of, of weakness, even in the lives of those who, who proclaim to love Jesus Christ. And then in God's Word, there are remarkable demonstrations. Even in our own lives, there are remarkable demonstrations of the love of Jesus Christ for sinners. In the text we're looking at this morning, we find all three. Follow along as I read, follow with me, verse 12 in John chapter 18, I'll read through verse 27. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And verse 15 says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who was, who had kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not of this man's disciple, one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. And verse 19 says, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly To the world, I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And verse 22 says, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And verse 25 says, Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. There are before us several remarkable demonstrations of the depravity and sinfulness of the human heart. There are also remarkable demonstrations of the weakness of even devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And there is also a remarkable demonstration of the love of Christ for sinful man here in this text. I want you to first look with me and think with me about this first remarkable there's remarkable demonstrations of the sinfulness of mankind. Amazing demonstrations of the darkness of the of the sinful heart. First, there was the band of soldiers and their captain of the officers of the Jews who arrested Jesus, and they bound him. Now, I, I have to think, how hard-hearted would these men have to be to have been, they had just been overwhelmed by the presence of Christ. We noted it last week. When he spoke, what did they do? They fell back. I noted last week that some have said it's possible they were taking up defensive positions because they finally came across Christ and they were afraid they are going to have a fight on their hands. These battle-hardened warriors were well-armed and, and great in number. I doubt they were falling back to take up defensive positions against Jesus' disciples. I think they were overwhelmed by the very presence of God himself in Jesus Christ. So here they are, they fall back as he speaks, they pick themselves up, and he says, now who who again is it you're looking for? And then he gives himself up to them, and they take him, and they bind his hands to take him away. Even if that wasn't a miracle, that they would fall back as he speaks. What about the ear of Malchus? It's not here in the text, but we we do learn in the Gospels that Jesus restored that ear. That was a miracle, was it not? They had to see that. How could you not believe in the presence of Jesus Christ as He speaks and you're overcome with the presence of His power? How could you not believe when you see Him reach down and pick up the ear from the dirt on the ground and and restore it to the head of Malchus? How could you be so foolish? Here are these unbelieving men who should have become believers. That is, if all it took for believing faith was witnessing miracles. They, of course, were not alone in their witnessing of miracles and unbelief in Christ. There were many before them who witnessed the miracles of Christ and yet went on their way in disbelief over who Christ was. The next remarkable demonstration of the sinfulness of mankind and the depths to which the sinful and darkened heart of mankind will go when it is totally lacking the light of truth is seen further in our passage, beginning in verse 19. The high priest, here he is questioning Jesus about his disciples, about his teaching. And Jesus answers, and in his answer he's pointing to the fact that he has always taught openly. He has not hidden anything that he teaches He'd always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews gather, and he had never hidden any of his teaching from those who would listen. And then Jesus says in verse 21, look at it, Why do you ask me? He's trying to make the point, Why are you asking me to testify against myself? (laughs) Why are you asking me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. You see, what was going on here with the questioning of Jesus in the middle of the night was completely inappropriate. And Jesus, with this statement in verse 21, makes that very clear. Charles Swindoll comments on this, saying, Jewish tradition carefully regulated the conduct of criminal trials, even more so than civil cases. No trial was to be held in secret or at night. This was both and the only proper place to hear criminal cases was in the Hall of Judgment in the temple. Furthermore, when evidence was being heard, the accused could not be compelled to testify in his own case. All charges had to be substantiated by multiple corroborating witnesses. Annas broke Sanhedrin rules by asking Jesus directly about his followers and his teaching, hoping to hear something incriminating. At first blush, Jesus' response appears insolent. However, he was merely pointing out the proper procedure. In a present-day American courtroom, counsel for the defense might have said, Objection! And there are the depths to which the sinful, sinful heart, which is devoid of the light of truth, those are the depths that that blackened heart will stoop refusing to call witnesses, refusing to believe the truth, readily subverting justice, taking away an innocent man, binding his hands right after the miracles. But that's not all. Note the blow Jesus receives according to verse 22 for only speaking the truth. Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus was not in the wrong here. It was the high priest who was ignoring what was right and just. But, of course, the darkened heart of mankind will tolerate great injustices to get its own way. So Jesus, once more, points to the proper procedure. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And then verse 24 says, Annas then sent him, read between the lines, flabbergasted, (laughs) bound to Caiaphas the high priest. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to have himself freed. In fact, he's established clearly here that he is innocent, innocent of the charges for which he is being held. And he's being tried unjustly. And we're going to see Jesus go willingly to his crucifixion and death. He's not trying to find himself free. He's going willingly. He's trying to establish the fact that he is being accused of something he is not guilty of. He has done no wrong. How dark and depraved the sinful heart of man without faith in Christ. Unless we be quick to judge, that's all of us without Christ. That's every one of us, without the Lord Jesus Christ, before He saves us from our sins. What the sinful heart needs, you see, is repentance and faith, and sadly there are many who will not have it. They will not repent. They will not believe. Though many tell them, of Jesus Christ. There will be many. The Bible says broad is the way to destruction. Narrow is the way, and few find it. But note also, there's a demonstration of the remarkable weakness of even those who are devoted devoted Christ followers. We see it in the actions of, of Peter, don't we? First, we see Peter following Jesus. He's He's hanging back. He's at a distance. He wants to see what's what's going to happen. Peter had earlier here in John's Gospel declared that he would follow Christ even to death. He would die for Christ. John is speaking of himself here in verse 15, and he says that he he is known by the high priest, and so he is allowed into the court, into the proceedings But not Peter, he's not known. Peter stood outside the door until John spoke to the servant girl, keeping watch at the door, and he was then permitted entrance. But note the exchange that takes place as Peter enters. Verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, I know you, you look familiar. You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? We like it when questions are asked like that that we don't want to admit to. "Uh, No, I'm not, says Peter. I'm not. You would think that Peter would have remembered the words of Christ, which we saw in John 13. Remember in verse 38, we know it well, where he warns Peter that he would deny him three times. It was right after Peter said, I'll die for you. Why can't I go with you? I'll even die for you. And Jesus says, oh, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. You'd think that Peter was thinking about this as he first denies being one of Jesus' disciples. Then again in verse 25, as Peter stands by the charcoal fire warming himself, he is asked, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And then a third time in verse 26, he is asked by a relative of the man whose ear he had cut off. Look at verse 26. Did I not see you in the garden with him? And, of course, we know Peter for a third time denied knowing Christ. And verse 27 says, And at once a rooster crowed. How weak even the heart of faith can be. There's a challenge to us here. There's an encouragement to us here too, but we ought to be challenged to guard our hearts, to be people of the Word, to be people who take daily steps of obedience to honor God's Word as it does its work in our hearts. How weak even the heart of faith can be and, and how quickly we can be wearing Peter's sandals, right? Find our ourselves in his shoes, so to speak, right? When Peter should have stood strong, when he had even intended to stand strong, he declared his allegiance, I'll die for you. It doesn't get any more bold than that. You can't say Peter didn't have good intentions. You can't say Peter didn't have his heart in the right place. But even with his heart in the right place, he is overcome with fear. And that's you and me at times, isn't it? You ever find yourself there? When there's an opportunity to speak for Christ, and yet you think, no, they won't listen. There's someone who needs the love of Christ demonstrated and you think, oh, I don't have time. Or there's a time when you need to boldly stand for truth and you're afraid of the consequences. That's us, isn't it? Lest we think little of Peter thinking we're better than he is, we ought to consider how we may just as easily in an unguarded moment deny Christ either with our words or with our actions. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12 gives us this warning. It's a warning you've heard and you know, but it bears repeating. We need to be reminded of these truths. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Beware overconfidence in your spirituality. Beware overconfidence in your Christ-likeness. You may now say you love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and mind and strength, but you or I could just as easily be Peter denying our Master and Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. If I could guard your hearts from it, I would do it myself. This is often such a personal matter. No one can keep you from denying your master and savior Jesus Christ. How easy it is to do with our lives, with our conduct, with what we do or with what we don't do. Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, pride goes before destruction. Beware the attitude that says, I'll never fall. I'll never depart from Christ. I'll never betray him. Beware. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Beloved, we must guard our hearts. And we must do so with the truths and promises of God's word. We must make them our own. We must examine our own hearts, and we must do so often, lest we stray from those truths. Not a single individual in this room is exempt. The unguarded heart naturally strays from the truth. There are no unguarded hearts which grow in Christ's likeness. We need the truth. We are not stronger than Peter, but we do have the same word of God that God wishes to dwell in us richly, according to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And now finally, there is a remarkable demonstration of the love of Christ for sinful man. I want you to note how willingly, how willingly Christ yields himself to the men with darkened and unyielding hearts. He yields. They will not Verse 12 tells us they arrested Jesus, they bound him, and he did not use his power to escape. He did not use his power as God in human flesh to overpower them and escape. And as we earlier noted, they they hauled him off to try him, and they did so unjustly, and he did not resist, but only made certain it was very clear that this trial was in fact a mistrial. Jesus was struck by an officer, and yet he did not retaliate or strike back. But he humbly called for witnesses, witnesses which in a proper trial would have already been called. And repeatedly, Jesus is wronged, but he does no wrong. In fact, all who judged him then would stand before his judgment seat one day. And in the midst of all this, in the midst of it all, there's a remarkable demonstration in Jesus Christ of his humility. He proves his love for those who are even his enemies by yielding himself to be wrongfully accused, to be cruelly treated, and then to be crucified and killed. He willingly yields Himself to be treated as a criminal when it's clear He is not. What remarkable demonstrations of Christ's love for sinners. It's one of the reasons we ought to behold God's Word and let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, because throughout God's Word are remarkable demonstrations of God's love through Jesus Christ for sinners, meaning you and me. As the hymn writer says the love of god is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. Paul says of this deep love of Christ for sinners when he writes in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the the form of a servant, being born in, in likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We've seen in our text, The sinfulness of mankind, the darkness of the human heart without the light of truth. But we ought not be surprised by the hardness of the sin of the darkened heart. There were many who rejected Jesus then, and people still reject him now. Oh, that we would walk with Christ and help them see him clearly and give them the gospel, and tell them of Jesus. We've seen also the weakness of even a devoted follower of Christ, and so we have a timely reminder that we also ought not be surprised when we find ourselves in need of continual strengthening. Does that ever discourage you? God, why do I still need help? Why do I still have to fight sin? Why do I still find it difficult to read your word? Why do I still find it difficult to be faithful in prayer? Don't be surprised when you find yourself in need of continual strengthening in your walk with Christ. Peter needed it. The other disciples needed it. And all the believers who have gone before you needed it. Jesus died to set us free from sin, but we still need the strengthening of his word and spirit, don't we? And praise God, we also see here the the remarkable love of Christ. Are you overwhelmed by the love of Christ? I hope you are. I hope you are overwhelmed by the love of Christ for you that he so willingly bears the punishment and shame of being scoffed at and brutally treated and crucified. Why? Why? So that we might be forgiven. Forgiven sins he never committed. You see the love of Christ for sinners, it is an amazing truth. His word tells us of it of it often, and we ought to look for it often in his word. And though we still fight sin, he still loves us. Do you realize that? He's not in heaven at the right hand of the Father saying, Doggone those those goofy Christians, how come they can't quit sinning? He still loves you. His word tells of the living word, Jesus Christ, and it tells us of him for our comfort and for our strengthening. Oh, how we must watch and wait. Right? Right? As Jesus, remember Jesus tells the disciples as he goes off to pray, watch and wait, guard yourselves, lest you be weak and fall. And as we look to Christ and his word, we should be overwhelmed by his remarkable love for us and his patience and his grace and his mercy. You see, the love of Christ for sinners is a love which has never changed and has never faltered. And he has loved us and he has freely given himself for us. Revel in that. Enjoy that today. Think of God's mercy on you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then walk with Him. And enjoy fellowship with Christ. Enjoy fellowship with Him in His Word and through prayer. And seek to spread the gospel to your neighbors and to your co-workers, to your family members. Share the love of Christ with them that they might not be numbered among those who with darkened hearts hauled Jesus off in spite of the truth Live for Christ. Seek to know Him more. Let the Word of Christ change your heart, strengthen your walk with Him. and Be grateful and thankful for the love of Christ that's so overwhelmingly obvious in the Word before us this morning.